Now, where were we? <laughs> Jesus is God for us. I believe that's where we were. <laughs> In case you were unaware, I passed out while preaching last week. And um, I, I didn't know how this was going to begin today. Um, by the way, I have passed out before. It's not, that's not the most unusual thing. Um, it has never happened while I was in the middle of giving three, a three-point sermon. Um, uh, but I will tell you, um, my doctor is still trying to figure out what's going on. I felt fine when I got up uh, last week. Um, if you want to know a little bit about you know, the insider baseball here about how I go about my Sunday, I usually get up before anyone else in our household, get ready, uh, and I will come up fairly early to the office and begin to, to think and pray and go through notes again before each message. And for the past 30 some odd years, this has been my practice. I get up, I come to church. Um, I do not eat anything. I just don't do that um, because I have one task on my mind when I get up on a Sunday morning, and that is to come and to preach God's Word. It's very important to me, and uh, that is what drives me on a Sunday morning to make much of Jesus and to, to, be, uh, to, to honor His Word. And so uh, at most, I will get a cup of coffee, no sugar, and, um, and, and then I will come in here and deliver what the Lord has laid upon my heart, and then I will start thinking about food. And uh, so I, we, we're not quite sure what happened last week. Um, it is possible um, that I had some, a, a low blood sugar moment, and uh, that triggered something that I do suffer from. Um, uh, occasionally, uh, there's this uh, vasovagal uh, response uh, that, I, that, that happens upon me. Uh, some, I'm seeing some folks that, that have that uh, see you and not. If I get blood drawn... Um, buddy, it's a 50-50 shot. I'm going to stay awake for it, okay? It's just, I don't know what it is. They say that some of the triggers of this is getting up too, too quickly, uh, standing too long, um, emotional stress, right? And I won't lie to you, brothers and sisters, coming in here, I thought, oh Lord, I feel fine, but uh, 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 the anxiety of giving back in front of hundreds of people and wondering, am I going to pass out again, could be a trigger to pass out again, all right? So, uh, I, 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 listen, I told Danny, Danny, you know, we brought this chair nearby to be a little funny, I think, but I, I actually requested the chair uh, because I'm going to get through this message today. We're going we're gonna to do that. Um, <laughs> I do want to ask you to continue to pray for me. I thank you, my goodness, my family thanks you for your concern, your prayers, the the way that you've reached out to all of us, um, and just the way that you've expressed your concern. Uh, I want to apologize to you. Uh, my, my goal is that when I pass out, I not do it here in front of you. Um, but for, for any uh, you know, heart attacks that I may have uh, tripped or whatever, I apologize for that. I do ask that you pray for, for my doctor as he continues to, to figure out what's going on. I've um, been going through a battery of tests. They've hooked me up to all kinds of wires and 
Um, I'm t taking lab tests and different things that are going on. And so hopefully over the next couple of weeks, uh, they'll be able to figure that out. One thing that we did discover when um, I went by ambulance to the hospital, which by the way is a very expensive trip to make two and a half miles away, um, and that's the third ambulance trip that's happened for our family this year. So anyway, um, as, as we were going, um, I went up to the hospital, the, the doctor um, at the hospital, they did a chest x-ray and discovered that I actually have pneumonia. I don't feel like it at all, uh, but they found, they discovered, so that could possibly have been part of what happened last week. Um, so I'm taking some medication for all of that. Um, listen, I had a birthday just th two weeks ago. Apparently at 53, everything goes downhill. I don't know <laughs> what, what that's like. So I will tell you the hardest part of all of this um, is, was not being able to finish my message. Um, when I was standing behind this pulpit, up until about 30 or 60 seconds before it happened, I felt perfectly fine. And, um, and so those of you who were here know I gripped a hold of the, the podium and I was, you know, in the spirit trying to will it away. I could just feel the, 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 the faint coming upon me. Um, I do want to thank those of you who responded so quickly. Um, Matt Wilkerson, buddy, you must lift a lot of weights because as I've been told, they, they, you notice that they've pushed this farther away, so you're going to have to climb on stage the next time. Uh, between this brand new podium and me, that was well over 300 pounds that you were easing to the ground there. And the, the rest of you that responded, thank you. I, I do want to say how much I appreciate our security team. We have some medical personnel who are, who are available, um, and thank you for all of you folks and all that you were, were able to do and just ending a, a crazy service last week. I mentioned that one of the hardest things for me was not being able to finish the message. Um, so I, I, so much so that as I was traveling by ambulance to the hospital, those of you who follow me on Twitter and Facebook know I wanted to make sure you got the notes, all right? So I tweeted out uh, the, three, uh, the, to the three points. I only got the first point out. I got the other three uh, put out there. Um, but I want to tell you, I, I really feel like I need to share that with you. I mean, here we are in the middle of this Advent celebration, and, and the process each week is that we introduce a new theme for the Advent uh, uh, of this week, the Advent theme for the week. Uh, last week was hope, this week is love, and then we preach, after lighting the candle, uh, we preach a message on the theme, and then at the end, I am supposed to challenge you to now go home and to read through your devotion day by day, which will back up the theme that we have for the particular week. And I didn't get to remind you of that last week. And so if you haven't picked up a copy of, of your devotional, be sure to do that. If we run out of copies, we do have some digital versions of that. Um, if because of, of what happened to me, you failed to, to do your devotion, double up, all right? Do, do two a day, catch up. Uh, we want you to make sure that you're, you're following through with this Advent season. So here's what I'd, I'd like to do. I'd like for just a moment uh, to, to reflect upon the theme of last week. Uh, because if you're like me and you're taking notes and the preacher says, I've got three points and he only gives you one, you, many of you didn't go to sleep very well over the last few days. Um, so I want to give these points to you. Um, the first point you've already heard, all right? Uh, you probably forgot it, but Jesus is God for us. That's the, when we talk about the hope that we have for a weary world, um, I pointed out last week the human birth of Jesus, how Mary, his mother, 
was found to be with child, and, and uh, yet she gave birth to him like all of us are born. So he had a, a human birth. Um, be reminded that the human birth reminds us of the incarnation of Christ, uh, that Jesus was a human being just like us, that Jesus was fully human, and that enabled him to represent us. Uh, he could stand in our place to die for us. So to the God who would die for us is who Jesus is. Here was the second point. Um, that I got rudely interrupted and couldn't finish with, and it is this, that Jesus is God with us. Yes, Jesus was fully human, but he was also fully divine. He was fully God, and so since Jesus came to us, uh, he was God with us, which Matthew makes very clear. We're not in Matthew today, but let me just read this verse uh, from Matthew chapter 1. As the angel told to Joseph, the, father, the earthly father of Jesus, he said, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so because Jesus is God for us and Jesus is God with us, it makes this third point possible, which is Jesus is God who saves us. Uh, as the angel proclaimed to Joseph, she will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from his, their sins. So Jesus came to save the earth. And only he was the one that was qualified to do so because he was fully God and fully man. Being fully human, he could represent us. Being fully God, he never committed one sin, perfect in all of his ways, which means only he could offer up his life. Only he was qualified to die in our place. And so this God for us and God with us is the God who came to save us. That's our hope, right? Our hope for a weary world. So that very first message... Uh, that we began last week, answered the question, why is the coming of Jesus an offer of hope to a weary world? Again, because Jesus is God for us, with us, and the God who saves us. Here is today's question. Giving the, the points of last week's sermon, here is the, what the, we're attempting to answer today. How did God show his love through the Advent? How did God show his love by the coming of Jesus into this world? And the answer is going to be found in our key verses today in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. So this is toward the end of the Bible. So if you want to go uh, to, the, to the, uh, the book of Revelation, come back uh, uh, about three or four books to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to read here in just a moment 1 John chapter 4. One more time before I read this. In case I don't get to finish this message, I want to tell you on behalf of myself and my family how much we love you and how much we appreciate you. Um, words will never, never convey it, but, but that is the truth. All right, let's stand together if we can. First John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm very cognizant especially after last week, of what a privilege it is to have any opportunity to stand and proclaim your word. And that every moment is a gift. 
And Lord, I pray that we will never, ever, ever take for granted every single moment that we have, every opportunity that we have to live for you, to serve you, to gather, to worship you. Not a one of us is guaranteed the next moment. And so, Lord, I, I pray that we take very seriously moments such as last week, that it not be about any particular person, that it not be about me. Lord, you know how much I do not want it to be about me. But that it be about you and how you are drawing all people to yourself. And Lord, I'm, I'm well aware that there could be someone in this room today whom this might be the very last Sunday that they have on this earth. This could be the last worship service that they ever attend. And so, Lord, I, I pray that the word of God will be proclaimed here this day, but that those who are hearing it would embrace it, knowing what a privilege it is to be here, to be a part of a church family, to hear the word of God preached, and to live it out. And, Lord, if there be any person here who does not know you, that this day be the day that they yield themselves to you, knowing that life is short, it's precious, but it is short, and that they immediately pursue obedience toward you professing you as Savior and Lord. So Lord, whatever you need to do with this hour, with this moment, I pray that you do it. And I thank you for the strength that you're going to give me to, to proclaim your word. We pray this, we ask it. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our God. Amen. And amen. Go ahead and have a seat. A handful of weeks ago, Pastor BJ was here. He preached a little longer than normal. Um, and I kidded him afterwards. I said, man, you preach two great sermons on Sunday. Um, well, legitimately, I'm preaching two sermons. You got the short version here a moment ago. Um, I'm going to preach uh, the, the main message today uh, here from 1 John chapter 4. And again, the theme for this day is love for a weary world. You, you know this to be true, but love is a major theme of Christmas. I do think we sometimes go overboard at Christmas for love, but I, I think that's normal for us. When you love something, you do for that. For, for that. If you love someone, uh, you, you go very strongly for them. And so today I want to talk to you about how God's love is demonstrated through the advent, through the coming of Christ into this world. And I'm going to have two points, all right? And unless the Lord wills otherwise, there will only be two points, all right? Here's the first truth that I want to share with you about God's love that the Advent reminds us of, and it's this, that God sent his only son to reveal his love to us. God sent his only son to reveal his love to us. This truth is affirmed there in the first of these two verses. Look again at verse 9. I know we just read it, but let me read it again. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So what we read from this verse is that with the coming of Jesus into the world, God's love was made manifest among us. That word manifest means that, that, that God's love was being revealed to us. It was being made real, made clear. And so God came into this, to this world. He came to earth and he revealed himself and he revealed his love in the person of Jesus Christ. 
And as Jesus appeared, as he was birthed and brought into this world, his presence was the revelation of the love of God. God with us. God in the flesh. that, That concept of Jesus being God in the flesh, the incarnate God, is actually a very important idea to to understand, especially as you're reading through this letter that John wrote that we refer to as the letter of 1 John. Because it was written many, many years after the life of Jesus. Jesus had been born, lived, died, was buried, came back to life, ascended uh, to the right hand of the Father. And many years after that, John then begins to pen this letter. But John is writing to a church that was in crisis. There was a lot going on in the life of this church. There was some heresy and, and competition and false teaching rising up among it, uh, among this church. And uh, among those that were, being, uh, that were affecting the believers that John was writing to was a group of people known as the Gnostics. And so as John is writing, he's got in the back of his mind a group of people who were trying to, to turn uh, the theology of the church in a wrong direction. And this church was being bombarded by this Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism really became more prominent in the second century, but it was taking shape and growing in the first century in which John was writing. And Gnosticism took many forms, but essentially they emphasized the spiritual and and uplifted the spiritual and and saw that in the material world that that things were inherently evil and inferior, uh, those things in the flesh and the material world. And so Christian Gnostics, these were those that were trying to take Gnosticism and married with it Christianity, Christian Gnostics saw Jesus as a spirit. He was a spiritual being, but they denied that he was a human being, denied that he was a man. And so with it, they were denying the incarnation. In their minds, Jesus couldn't be God in the flesh because the flesh was was evil. And so, you know, God couldn't associate himself with something that was evil. So Jesus couldn't have been God in the flesh. He was just God in spirit. But you know, all that contradicts what John himself would write at the beginning of his gospel. In John chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3, we hear these words from the gospel writer. He says, in the beginning was the word. And the Word was God, with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now we know that the Word that John refers to in John verses 1, 2, and 3 of John 1, that was Jesus. So if you want to sort of read Jesus' name on top of the Word uh, in those verses, you, it'll help you to understand that he's talking about Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was God, and Jesus, uh, w- Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God, and he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Jesus, and without Jesus, not anything was made that was made. Now, how do we know that John was actually talking about Jesus when he t- refers to him as the Word? Well, down in verse 14 of John chapter 1, these words... And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, who do you think the Word that that became flesh and dwelt among us was? It was Jesus. Jesus. So Jesus, the one who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Son of God, became flesh and dwelt among us. Do we have any U2 fans around here? I said U2, not YouTube, by the way. Uh, U2 was a a group uh, from my generation in the 80s, a a rock group. Um, And uh, Bono, who is the lead singer of U2, actually happens to be a Christian. And after a long tour, 
Um, he, he arrived back in his hometown of Dublin, Ireland, and he attended a Christi Christmas Eve service. And it was in the middle of this Christmas Eve service that he just sort of had a moment, sort of a, an epiphany about Jesus. And, and he, he grabbed a hold of a truth that, that just wrenched his heart. It was all about the Advent, and it was this truth, that in Jesus, God became incarnated. In Jesus, God was flesh among us. And as he was reflecting upon this, just tears began to stream down his face. And he said of that moment, he said, the idea that God, if there is a force of love and logic in the universe, that he would explain, seek to explain himself is amazing enough. That he would seek to explain himself by becoming a child born in poverty and straw, a child. I just thought, wow, just the poetry. I saw the genius of picking a particular point in time and deciding to turn on this. Love needs to find a form. Intimacy needs to be whispered. Love has to become an action, something con concrete. It would have to happen. There must be an incarnation. Love must be made flesh. Yes, indeed. You see, Jesus was God's gift to us, sent to us and sent out of love to reveal God to us and to reveal his love to us. That is why we celebrate Christmas. It is be it's because the greatest gift that could ever be given was given to us in Jesus and his love. That's why Paul would describe Jesus in this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says of Jesus, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Jesus is a gift. And Jesus is inexpressible as a gift because he is unlike any other. Fully God, fully man, all at the same time. We can't explain it, but we believe it. This incarnate God sent to us as a gift, given to offer us life. You know, in, in the, these verses here in 1 John sound a little familiar. I mean, when you hear these words in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Does that sound a little familiar? You see and hear some echoes out of John 3.16, which we had read earlier. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but would have eternal life. God gave His only Son, sent His only Son. There wasn't another Son, just Jesus. And so there was no other way of salvation but through Jesus Christ. And that means that there was no greater gift that could ever be offered that God could give the world in offering His Son, His only Son. Jesus was a gift of love, sent by God to reveal His love. As we see here in verse 9, He was sent into the world so that we might live through him. By the way, had he not come, we wouldn't live spiritually, but we would have remained dead in our sin, which leads us to our second truth about God's love that the Advent reminds us of, and it's this. Yes, God sent his son into the world, his only son, to reveal his love to us, but also to God sacrificed his only son to prove his love. Look again now at verse 10 using similar language, saying that God's love is manifest, it's made clear. He then says in verse 10, in this is love. Not that we have love, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We don't use the word propitiation very much in our society today. 
We'll toss it around from time to time because it's a, a biblical word, but the word basically means appeasement. Specifically, though, in biblical terms, it refers to a sacrifice that appeases the wrath of God against our sin. And so Jesus, therefore, is in referencing him as the one who is sent as a propitiation for our sins, is referring to the fact that Jesus was sent as a sacrifice. So why is propitiation by Jesus so important? Why is it that it was necessary for Jesus to be offered up as a sacrifice on our behalf? Why does God need to be appeased? Now, we all agree that God is love, amen? The, the scripture here, we've just read it, it tells us, it affirms the fact that God is a God of love, uh, and, and that is true. But God is also equally, fully a holy God. He hates sin. We don't always like this part of, of God's character and nature because we know that we struggle with sin, but God hates sin. He is offended by sin, and his wrath burns against our sin. It burns against your sin, particularly and mine, particularly. And because of our sin, we stand separated from God. We cannot, in our own right, in our own merits, in our own ability, in our own righteousness, approach God. And there is nothing that you and I can do to fix the problem. We all deserve to die for our sin. So then, how is God's wrath, his wrath that burns against our sin, how is God's wrath appeased? How is it that Jesus is to become the propitiation for our sins? Well, Jesus died the death that we deserved. We, we focus so much at Easter time about the death of Jesus, right? His death, burial, and resurrection. But Christmas is as much about the coming of Jesus into this world to die as anything. He died the death that we deserved. He died the death that would bring forgiveness for us. He died that God's wrath might be appeased. Now you, you may think, well, listen, he's God. He can do anything he wants, right? Well, why isn't it possible? Why didn't God just simply say, well, you're forgiven? Let's skip the sending my son part into the world and dying for, for the sins of everyone. I'm God. I just declare you innocent. You're forgiven. Why is it that God had to be appeased? Why propitiation? Again, it's because sin must be paid for, just like a debt must be paid for. You know this intuitively. I mean, go back to, to when you were younger, perhaps, Maybe you had a, a situation similar to what I've experienced before. You're watching television, you know, as a child long ago. And maybe a sibling walks in, your sister perhaps walks in, and um, she picks up the remote and begins to, to change the channels. You were watching something. She begins to, to surf the, the TV to see if there's something else she would like to watch. And, you know, she's just rude, unbending. It's all about what she wants. And uh, there's some arguments that are erupting from this. Your dad, however, hears from the other room this argument that's happening, and he steps into the room, hears both sides, and then responds and forces your sister to apologize to you. That, that's all well and good, right? But are you really happy with that? You know, after all that, that she's put you through, you know, you're, you're really not satisfied until your father adds to it also you're grounded from watching TV from a week. And then you feel good about it. Amen? Right? You see, we know intuitively that when there is a wrongful deed, when there is a crime, when there is a sin 
that it's not simply something and simply enough to say, yes, all is well and you are forgiven because if there is no punishment, there is no real justice. We have committed wrongdoing against a holy and righteous God. And yes, he is a God of love and care and compassion, but his sense of justice still remains. And so when the crime has been committed, when the sin has been committed, the punishment for the sin still must be meted out. And he did so not by bringing it upon us, but laying the punishment upon his son. And without that happening, his wrath would not have been appeased. Jesus died as a sacrifice, a sacrifice given out of love that we might be forgiven for our sin. And it proved God's love for us. As Paul would write in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God shows or demonstrated or, or proved his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God died for us. Think of that. God. Jesus. Yes, he is the Son of God, but he has always existed. He was a, a part of the creation, he created the world. God the Creator and Jesus, that very one, also willingly laid down his life for you. And he did so out of love. He proved, demonstrated his love for you by dying for you. God loves us in spite of our sin. And he did so by sending his only son to die for us. His life for ours. And guess what happened when that happened? We were forgiven. God's wrath was appeased. And on top of it all, we're now reminded how much God loves us. You know, I, I think we forget how hard it must have been for God to send His Son into this world. Listen, I know the, the, the Trinity and God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and how all of that works, where, where we, we see uh, the, the, these different uh, aspects of God, and yet we know that He is still one God. I know that's hard for us to wrap our mind around it, but the Scriptures depict it as God the Father sending God the Son into this world to offer Him up as a sacrifice. But I, I, just, I think we fail to comp comprehend how difficult it would have been for Him to do that. I mean, we think of Christmas not as a sad time, not as a depressing time. Christmas is a joyful time, and it is. But from God's perspective, that first nativity, that first Christmas, it was the Lord sending His Son into the world to die. How hard that must have been for Him. You know, every few Christmases, there's, there's a toy craze. There's some gift that everybody wants and they all want at the same time and it becomes a supply-demand issue. The, the company making the gift uh, promotes it very well, but they don't have enough uh, of the supply to meet the demand. And so, so it becomes whatever that gift is, it becomes the gift. And everybody's trying to get it for their kids, uh, whether it's the Cabbage Patch doll or the Xbox 360 a few years ago or the Zuzu Pet or the Hatchimals. There's one gift every year. I don't know if there's one this year because we can't get anything, so they tell us. But, but, but back in the 90s, one of the, the, the biggest craze of all was Tickle Me Elmo. Anybody have a, you know, get, get a Tickle Me Elmo when you were a kid? Anybody get one of those? Anybody buy one of those Tickle Me Elmos? Boy, you were one of the lucky ones. 
If you're not familiar with Tickle Me Elmo, he's a Sesame Street character, a little red Muppet of some sort. And, you know, if you would, you know, tickle him, you know, rub him, uh, he would start to laugh and laugh. And, and eventually, as he's shaking and laughing, he would say, oh boy, that tickles. All right? It's amazing what technology can do, right? It sold for a, 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 the great amount, great amount of $30. But back in the 90s, that was a little bit more than it is today. Tyco, the, the toy company that was producing this, they put an uh, initial production line of 400 of these units of the, of the Tickle Me Elmo doll, uh, 400,000 uh, dolls. And uh, they quickly, once they sold out, they quickly put it back into production because they knew they had a problem. But the problem was the, there was a the motor that was inside the doll that caused them to shake and to laugh. It was very hard to make, and that slowed down the production. So all that did was to create a greater demand, less supply, greater demand. And so they just couldn't keep up. And it wasn't long before Tickle Me Elmo became the it toy of 1996 Christmas and a black market for Tickle Me Elmo dolls sprung up, right? And eBay had been launched, so that was part of it as well. And people were selling these dolls anywhere from $75 all the way up to $1,000. And yet some auctions were selling them for $3,500 for a $30 doll, which meant somebody out there was paying that money for that, right? Some parent, right? Now, on the surface, that kind of craziness looks pretty bad, it, it, and it is, but it really demonstrates, I don't recommend, though, you get caught up in that kind of craziness, but it may show how much a parent loves a child, uh, that, that they go overboard trying to, to, to do for them, almost willing to do anything to show them. And I give you that story as a reminder that love compels us to do hard things sometimes, to do difficult things sometimes. Now, we're not talking about a toy here, obviously. We're talking about the God of the universe who loved creation so much, who loved you so much. And I want you to imagine the depth of God's love. Imagine how his love and what it compelled him to do for you. How deeply he loved you, compelling him to sacrifice his son so that you might be forgiven of your sin. Isn't that an incredible demonstration of the love of God that we see in the Advent? How God sent His only Son into the world to reveal His love to the world. And how God sacrificed His only Son to prove His love to us. So what are we to do with that? I mean, that's heavy. Such a heavy idea and, and, and understanding. A heavy truth to know that God loves you and me so much that he would send his son to us and he would reveal his love to us by offering up his son to die for us. What are we supposed to do with that? How do we respond to such a demonstration of love? There's two things that I would share with you in conclusion. One would simply be to love God back. If God loves you so much that he would send his son to die for you, to, that you might be forgiven of your sins, don't you think the least that you and I can do is to love him back? See, the gospel of Jesus Christ and our response to the gospel is the story of love. And the gospel is not just something that occurred in the gospels. It's something that the whole Bible talks about, how God created us and put us on this planet. We were part of his plan that, he would worship, that we would worship him and know him and interact with him and he would be the focus of our lives. And because of our sin... 
And listen, we, we're all sinners according to the scriptures. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. And the ultimate death is separation from God. We all stand opposed to God. And yet God loved us enough to send his son into this world to live a perfect life and to lay down his life as a sacrifice to pay the punishment, the propitiation, so that you and I might be forgiven. God's wrath appeased and we might be forgiven. But that story, as important as it is, requires a response on your part and mine. And that is to believe. We believe that Jesus is God, that he is God's son, that he came to die for us. And we embrace him through repentance. We, we turn from our sin and turn to him. That's nothing you and I do in our own strength. We can't do it. We're incapable of it. As, as we know that Jesus came, that we might have life. But before Jesus came and, and before he comes in our lives, we are dead spiritually. We don't have the capacity to turn to him. So he empowers us to do that. But we believe in him and we repent of our sins by turning to him. That's how we love God back. By the way, repentance, the idea behind it is, is that it's not just a one-time turn to him, but it's an ongoing surrender of your life to God. In other words, it's no longer your life. It's his life. You live it for him. That's how you love God back, by living your life for him and worshiping him as you were created to do. So love God back. Another response to the love of God, especially as we reflect upon it this Christmas season, is to love like God. We didn't read it, but I want you to look at the very next verse, verse 11. After being told that God has sent his only son into the world to, to reveal his love, but also he sacrificed his son to prove his love, we read this, verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. In other words, the way that God has loved us is the way that we ought to love God. And We've told you before how there are different words in the Greek language of the New Testament that are rendered love in the English language. They're not all the same words for us. There's the phileo love, which is brotherly love. There's eros love, which is romantic love. But these are not the kind of loves that John is talking about here. The word he uses in the Greek language that is translated into our English language as love is the word agape, which is a reference to the un unconditional sacrificial love of God. Beloved, if God so agapeo us, we also ought to agapeo one another. As God loved us with this unconditional sacrificial love, we ought to love one another. So how did he love us? Well, as we've seen it, he revealed his love by giving. God gave himself into this world, but he also proved his love by sacrificing. And as we move through this Christmas season, if I could challenge you to do anything upon trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior and beyond that, is that we do the same. That this season, let's be very conscious of revealing God's love to the people around us. And not just in general. Not just by putting up some Christmas message on your, on your social media feed. But actually engaging people with the love of God. Giving in some way. I don't know what that means for you. But, but pray about it. Seek how God might inspire you to love others in the name of Jesus. But also prove that love by sacrificing. It doesn't mean sacrificing your life perhaps but de definitely deeply giving and giving to others to show that your life is not about you, but it's about God in you. Because someone you know is weary. They're living in this weary, weary world. And it might just be that their only contact 
in the immediate future with the love of God is you. It's you. They need to experience God's love every bit as much as you do. So look out into this world. See how God has loved you by sending His Son, revealing His love to you through Jesus, but also proving His love through sacrificing His Son and making it possible for you to know God in an intimate way, in a personal way, and knowing that you've experienced that love, love others into the kingdom. Let's see what God does. Because love in a weary world, I believe, can see a changing of lives. Let's go see it happen. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity yet again to talk about you. And now, Lord, I ask that you take this truth, the truth of this word, and use it now. Perhaps there is someone in this room or someone who is watching through the Internet, through one of our uh, video feeds, even now as I speak. Lord, truth be told, they were to be honest, they would say that they have yet to experience your love in a personal way. Oh, Lord, I pray that they truly see that Christmas is just another retelling of the fact that you love this world so much that you sent your Son into the world. That we might not die, but that we could have everlasting, eternal life. Lord, if there be someone here who does not know you, I pray that today they have faith in you, and turn to you for the forgiveness of their sin. Lord, also know that this room is filled up with people who have already, already experienced the love of God. Lord, they have a lot of love they've received, so they have a lot of love that they can live and a lot of love that they can give. And so, Lord, I pray that they reflect and reveal your love to others in this world. Lord, we are walking testimonies of the change and the love that you bring into this, this world that is so weary, so broken, so desperate for the message of love. I pray, Lord, that as they seek your face, that the Spirit of God would enlighten them to know how best to love those around them. Lord, I pray even now that particular individuals and names will, will begin to, to be reflected in, in hearts and minds of people that need to, to be exposed to the love of Christ. And Lord, that you would inspire those as you directed by your spirit, Lord, that, that you would guide them to know how best to interact with them. Lord, I pray this, I ask this, but I also do so with deep gratitude in my heart for knowing that I have experienced your love. Thank you for the love that compelled you to come into this world, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen.